We're proud to have this episode sponsored by ShakePay, the easiest way for Canadians to buy and earn Bitcoin. I love using ShakePay because it's fast, it's easy, the app is great, and it doesn't hurt that they give away free sats, which is free Bitcoin every day just for shaking your phone. They also have the ShakePay prepaid Visa card issued by People's Trust that earns you up to 2% cash back in Bitcoin. Not points you have to redeem, just Bitcoin added to your account automatically. Like I said, ShakePay really is the easiest way for Canadians to buy and earn Bitcoin. So join the over 1 million Canadians already on ShakePay. Sign up is fast and free. It's so easy, a boomer can do it. Plus, sign up for ShakePay with the promo code LOONYHOUR and you'll receive $10 after you buy your first $100 worth of Bitcoin. That's promo code LOONYHOUR. Thank you, ShakePay. Now back to the show. Before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to Looney Hour, episode 65. As always, joined by the three amigos, we got Keith Dicker of IceCap Asset Management and Rich Diaz of Acorn Macro Consulting. Welcome back to the show, gentlemen. Rich, uh, any any new dates this week? Um, sadly, uh, nothing to report. <laughs> well, well, maybe next week. I'll let you guys know. I've, I've gotten some positive feedback of that. I'm, I'm mortified by all of this attention. It's just something I'm not used to. Um, but yeah, no, no, all good on that front. It was a good new year's kept it really, really quiet for once. I guess that means I'm getting old or, or slow or what do you do Keith with Mrs. Icecap? Do you guys go to bed at 10 o'clock? Well, first of all, I'm interested in the feedback you received on, on your dating. <laughs> no, <laughs> is it a strategy or, or skill? What, what would you, I've been given advice like with me. It's innate. Like I just have it, you know, like I'm like the fonds, but I'm, I know you struggle with being. You know, rich. I, I do struggle with being rich. Um, I got some advice. So I got some encouragement. <laughs> I thought you had a date tonight. Did she cancel? Um, uh, no comment on the on that. <laughs> I can neither confirm or deny. I can neither confirm or deny. She's canceling to watch the uh, Canada World Juniors as well. Yeah, that was amazing. Um, Connor Bedard. Did you watch it, Steve? Yeah. Well, we obviously canceled our uh, rescheduled our. Uh, live Q and A, uh, which was supposed to be yesterday. We're recording this on Thursday, of course. Um, so the the live webinar uh, will be, has been bumped to next Wednesday, January the eleventh, four thirty Pacific time, seven thirty Eastern. Um, the registration link is the exact same one that we posted last week. But again, if you're listening to this episode, um, we will include the the link uh, in the description below. Uh, as well as on, on YouTube here in the description. So um, like I said, go register for that. It's completely free. We'll have a have a blast, have a couple of drinks, uh, answer some questions and, um, you know, just have some fun building the Lunar community here. We, um, that'll be fun next week. So we'll, we'll have a good bit of fun with it. And uh, we had a great New Year's here. Um, yeah, Mrs. Icecap and myself, we'd be, uh, actually Mrs. Icecap was working all weekend. So she has some pretty long shifts to, to pull through. So uh, we weren't that active, but we had a big game of Catan with uh, my daughter and her friends. Do you guys know that game? 
Yeah, no, Settlers of Catan. If you know, you know. I've it. heard of it. Yeah, I'm pretty good at it. I, I There's no chance good. you're staying up till midnight, Boomer. Yeah, I think it was like 11:20, I think, and it was <laughs> it was it was done. <laughs> but anyways, uh, what do we got this week? What, what's happening? Week number one, right? Week, week number one, one I, we know just uh, setting ourselves up for a big year here, I and mean, obviously that's why we figured we'd do the Q and A because we know people probably have a lot of questions. I'm getting a lot of questions, anyways on the uh the housing front you know is this people sitting around with some cash and saying is this you know i've got some cash i wanted to deploy it i want to buy i want to do something this year when's the time to buy when's prices going to bottom you know when are central banks going to stop hiking rates so there's there's a lot of questions i think that are going to be answered here in 2023 it's kind of been building to this crescendo um but just kind of wrap round things out just on the housing front um, we're getting sort of our year-end December figures coming in. So, you know, looking at the Toronto housing market, for example, uh, so sales fell 48% year over year in the month of December. Um, benchmark, the MLS home price uh, benchmark that, price. Sorry, sorry, Steve, was that the, like the quantity of sales? You say it's down 48% yeah, so of the price. The number of transactions, basically. So the number of transactions fell 48%. Uh, year over year in December. So obviously base effects, you know, last December was piping hot. Um, but, you know, nonetheless, um, you know, a very, very slow December in, in the GTA. Benchmark price is down 8.9% from last year. Um, I think that's one of the largest uh, decreases. Uh, so it was the biggest drop for the calendar year since the benchmark was first uh, created in 2005. Can I ask you a question? Um, Sorry, can I have to, or just on the volumes thing? So what was yeah. the peak? What month was like the peak volume? Typically, I think it would have been, I want to say March. March of 2021, right? E 2022. Okay. So, if, so what is the sales volume from like, we know that prices are down, whatever, 15%. Some cases it's more, some cases it's less. But what's volume from that peak? Like if like seventy percent? Oh gosh, yeah, I don't know. It's, I don't have the figures in front okay. of me, but it's Sorry. it's gonna it'll be a massive number. Um, I mean, I am curious to see like, you know, we talk about base effects quite a bit. the The base effects I think are gonna like really ugly in like Jan, Feb, March this year. That's my question. Yeah, they're gonna be a hor like horrific because you know we basically had that blow off top, uh, which you know ultimately ended in February. So trying to compare like benchmark prices on a year over year base effect from that sales volumes, et cetera. It's going to be ugly. Um, but you know, similar story in Vancouver, not quite as bad. The GTA is definitely getting hit much harder. Um, so greater Vancouver. So home sales on a year over year base effect in, in December down 51%, 51% decline in home sales. Um, the home price index finished down 3.3% on the year. So not as bad, but if you look at the home price index, you know, over the last six months, it's down about 9%. So that's, if people go in, and we've talked about this, we don't need to explain it again, beat a dead horse about rate of change terms. But um, so yeah, heading into the year with some really soft data, I think the base effects in Jan, Feb, March are going to look pretty ugly. Are we going to get another bank account or rate hike? What, January 25th? Maybe the last one, maybe they're done. Sure, why not? 
<laughs> we we might have to bet a lemon loaf on, on that one <laughs> we, when it comes up. We're definitely going to bet a lemon loaf. Is that a new uh, thing for twenty three? Lemon loaf. <laughs> we're moving. We're moving up in the world. <laughs> Maybe we need to move on from the Twinkie and have. We'll come up. Well, with they something. have. They've refused to sponsor us thus far, so. Yeah, yeah, maybe we should move on. I have another question on the real estate thing. Are you seeing differences in condos versus single family homes or is it just everything's Yeah, no, it's together? a good question. So, basically what's happening is the detached housing market always tends to lead the rest of the market. So the detached market will go up first, it will then correct first and then like everything else kind of tends to follow suit. So we've seen the largest correction in like suburban single family houses and like townhouses are not far behind. And then condos are a little bit further behind that. Um, so I think there's probably actually, I actually think there's probably going to be more downside in the condo market this year. That was, that was my next, but you beat me to it. Yeah. I think like, I think, you know, people might shoot me for this. I, I think the detached, you know, I think there's probably some more room to go for sure on pricing, but I, I think it's pretty, I think it's getting pretty close to a bottom. Um, condo market. I'm not not convinced. Like you've got a lot of these presale buyers. Whoa, that are whoa, waiting. whoa, 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 whoa! Did you just call the bottom? It's no, like no. Anything? I, I said it's getting close. <laughs> I think it's. I would say. I think. Okay, so some of these markets in the suburbs, they're detached markets. Some of them are down twenty, twenty five. In some cases, extreme cases are down thirty percent. So, do they have another five, ten percent to go? I would probably say there's a high, decent probability of that. I would say high probability. Um, I don't know. We're I gonna just, hold this. We're gonna hold this. We're gonna hold you to this now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Gonna someone's gonna. Comments. Someone's gonna <laughs> clip this and and rewind it back. But I don't mean like you're getting a thirty percent discount. Not bad. The reason, right the now though, with oh, with the market coming off, and um, you know, this is just an opinion. I don't know if we can measure it yet. Um, but in my view, it, it's it's primarily driven by the rate hikes. Correct, one hundred percent, as well as the banks becoming less um, enthusiastic about lending, so spreads have increased as well. But but we've yet to get job losses, right? So yeah. If, so I don't think I'm not calling a bottom yet, and um, and when I, I do, I'll, I know I'll be right. But um, come on, you're supposed to chuckle when I say no. that. <laughs> Rich is like my soundtrack, you know. I used to watch like, oh, Three's Company and Happy Days. You get this. You guys don't know those shows, right? Laugh track. But, yeah, yeah. Um, but I suspect if if we do get a you know a, a recession, it actually hits. Then I think that will drive things down further. If we don't, though, if it is you know this this is it, then maybe you know we are getting closer, you know, to that bottoming. I mean, process. yeah. I think I think the important thing is like these these calls are always changing, right? Like as the data changes, like you need to change your mind. Like, I, I don't know if, if there's some sort of data that comes in, you know, eight weeks from now that will like, should alter your opinion, then I'll, then I'll change my opinion. But I think as I'm looking at it today, looking at the data, the big story here is like, there's no inventory. Inventory levels are half of what they were in 08, 09. Um, I look at a lot of the markets like, you know, a detached house on the west side of Vancouver, like the people that own these $3 million houses have no debt on them for, for, for a lot of these houses. So like, I don't expect that market to be swamped with inventory and dropping 40%. But like, yes, there's a lot of these fringe suburban markets that are blue collar people levered up to the gills during the pandemic off TIFFs 
Tiff's words that rates would stay low forever. And, and so, yeah, you know, they're going to pay the price and I think they already are. And I think there's a lot of, I think there's still, there, there's, there's a lot of pain points that we're looking at, which is like the pre-sale market. That was extremely speculative. Um, there's going to be a lot of it. I think investors that won't be able to qualify for mortgages when these units come due for completion. So there's going to be some stress there. There's going to be some developers going bankrupt. Um, I think that these rate hikes haven't quite bit yet in terms of increasing the number of foreclosures coming to market. I don't expect well, us to be flooded with foreclosures, but I think like for sure we're going to see more. Like, well, that, was, that, was, that was my question. That was my question. The reason I, I was bugging you about the, the condo thing is because I, I keep reading articles about how there's an incredible wave of condos coming onto the market in Toronto specifically. And I was just wondering if you've heard of like developers or people just saying, forget it. We're, we're, you know, we're just going to close up shop because there's no way we're going to make money or whatever it is. And, and I'm just, and I'm just curious about like, maybe Keith, this is one, this is one for you too. Is like, do you think there's like a systemic issue that we might see? Like, do you see, if enough of these construction companies um, go bankrupt or they stop building and remember um, you know, real estate and lending and leasing is like the hot is the largest chunk of our gross value add in, in Canada. Um, well above energy and manufacturing and other services and stuff. So my point is like, do you, can we see a systemic, um, yeah, can we see this like sort of cascade into other parts of the economy? I mean, is that even possible? I mean, yeah, it's absolutely possible. And I, I think the probability of it happening is a lot higher than what, what everyone is expecting out there. It doesn't mean it has to happen, of course. Yeah. But, you know, it's not a non-zero event. And we keep going back to, you know, what we just introduced the concept just a few minutes ago that, you know, we're getting this, you know, softness, if you want to call it that, in, in the housing world. We've yet to have a recession. Yeah, it's true. So if we do get it, and then you get all the, because, you know, the housing market is, and, and banks by nature, they're levered structured it's a levered business altogether so you you board you have a small amount of your equity and then you borrow on on top of it right uh it just takes a small move in in any of these things you know to push someone off sides and then you get the cascading effect uh, with that and um you know what i uh what i find really interesting about this and i was chatting with someone yesterday about it, someone they're, they're european based um Canadians have not experienced this before. You guys hear Willis? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Just give me your thoughts on it, then I'll continue with this as well. Uh, well like to, go for go it. Go ahead, Rich. You go ahead. No, I was just I was just gonna say. I mean, it, I mean, we are talking about Canada, and eventually we'll move on to the rest of the world. What I think is fascinating is that Germany's seeing a correction. You know, Sweden seeing a correction. Uh, New Zealand, your house prices, New Zealand seeing a Australia, yeah, Australia and house prices year on year, much to my chagrin in the UK are going to go negative year on year. I mean, it's, 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 we've talked about the, you know, the great rate reset, which is one of my themes for 2023. We really haven't seen it. And I think Keith's point about how Canada really hasn't seen much of the pain yet either. I think it's really interesting. I'm not, I, I, but anyway, Keith's back from. You guys, you guys have me all worried now that people are going to take my uh, detached market <laughs> pricing bottom out of context here. Yes, yeah, so we're going to clip it. <laughs> I'm still incredibly concerned about where, where or what could happen. However, looking at strictly the data points in the housing market in isolation, um, 
I think people are more more insulated. It's too late, Steve. It's too in late. You're gonna markets. be cliffed. You're gonna be cliffed now. <laughs> Keith, go go for it. Well, like a slightly different observation, which sort of is in line with with housing. So, Rich, so before I talk about, you know, I had a conversation with a friend yesterday about, you know, what could happen in, in Canada. But what, what I what I love is ties in with the whole housing market here is behind your right shoulder. You have so beautiful flowers. Where where do they come from? Where I, why I, do you have I, flowers I, in your house? I like flowers and I bought myself flowers. <laughs> the flowers are beautiful and cheap in this country. And so, you know, every once in a while I bought lilies. It's the spruce of my life <laughs> you're supposed to use that in your date props so you know, she, she, she comes back and she goes oh wow where those flowers come from oh listen, ladies man, oh, man, anyone listen, if there I'm is a, a lady soul. listening if there is a lady listening to the show here this guy is quite the catch this guy is quite the catch oh, bro. um so which <laughs> this we'll call this the flower episode in in the end <laughs> Um, but with, with the Canadian economy, and I, I think we've sort of danced around this before, um, the Canadians have never experienced a, a crisis, a national crisis economically. Like it hasn't happened. And we've never experienced one in, in the banking sector. And I, I don't mean to say this to be alarming. I'm not going to be like Steve and, you know, call the bottom <laughs> of a market. Oh, my God. <laughs> This However, is never, I'm never going to get, never going to hear the end of this one. Yeah, I know. It is a good one though. It, it's quite, I try to deflect attention with, with Rich's flowers, but <laughs> boy, oh boy. Uh, but but serious though, um, if, if, if all this starts to develop the way that, you know, the path is there, you can clearly see which, which way this path is, is going. And again, it, it could be an external event, something outside of Canada that, that triggers it. Uh, but Canadians are not prepared for any kind of a, a crisis with our banks. And, um, you know, and, and the Canadians say, well, it's never happened before. So means it will never happen. Um, but but that, that's not the case that the risk is there and it is escalating. So if we do get a recession coming up, then it is going to put more pressure. And then just say Japan goes, you know, pow in the middle of the night. Or the Europeans, we got we got to talk about what about central banks in, in a little bit as well. By the way, because it is all tied together here. Uh, you know, we we are lined up here for uh, you know we could have some some pretty big movements here in 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 the first in Q one or Q two of, of twenty three. So a couple last little tidbits, um, you know, as we talk about uh, bottoms and whatnot um, in certain segments as we mentioned. Um, but there's, uh, you know, there's one stat that I noticed that came out here that I found, you know, very, very interesting, which is like, this is when I say, Hey, there's going to be, you know, more, more stress building up in the markets. And I worry a lot about, um, you know, some of these condo investors, these pre-sale guys, et cetera, but typically tend to be more speculative. They tend to be, you know, floating rates because they want like the optionality to get in and out of, of, of these units. Uh, so in January, 2022, which was pretty much near right at the top of the market, uh, the status 57% of borrowers in January, 2022 went with a variable rate mortgage in Canada. Um, so of course, you know, your variable rate is up 400 basis points since January of 22. So there's, there's a, there's a lot of borrowers that are finding ways, I think, to, to make their mortgage payments, but I think they're, they're definitely struggling. 
And um, yeah, just hearing a lot of, against, you know, we've talked about it before on the show, but a lot of anecdotal stories. So that's something I think will will sort of shape up in the new year. I just want to contrast that with the US, which is, I think, again, it's like we always, I mean, American Canadians, unfortunately, can compare themselves to America, I think, way too much. Uh, I'm going to add to that unfortunate trope. But what's fascinating is in the US, for example, 90% of the mortgages are fixed rate. And this is not fixed rate, this Mickey Mouse two years fixed rate. This is 30 years fixed rate. And it's incredible because that basically all happened when mortgages were, you know, below 4%, let's just say. Um, and, and so it's just, an, it's just an incredible, incredible difference between sort of how exposed you are to that, those rate hikes. And, um, and again, I've talked about this before, why I think the U.S. housing is going to be relatively okay. And also why I think, you know, just like Canada, New Zealand, Australia, UK, a lot of these sort of economies um, in the developed world that are really, really rate sensitive are going to have a, a really hard time. That obviously has implications with the central bank interest rate policy, inflation, um, and which we'll talk about a little later. But so something, it's amazing, the contrast, really. I think it sort of brings us, yeah, ahead, sort of, uh, yeah it, it brings us back to the real question everyone is asking now, when will the central bank stop raising rates? You know, when, when is it going to happen? And, you know, I mean, you heard the expression, they'll do it until they break something. And other people are saying, well, they'll keep doing it until inflation data starts to roll over. And, and that's already happening, of course. Um, however, the, the Americans, the Federal Reserve, they've been, they've been crystal clear. They are looking at, at the employment market. And as long as employment remains somewhat strong or stable, wage growth is still positive, they're going to use that to continue raising rates. So here this morning, uh, you know, I think we have two economic data points out this week down, down in the U.S. And uh, Rich will go through them in, in a second. But maybe Rich will talk about the first one, which was the uh, – we had the weekly claims out this morning as well. I think it was the ADP um, employment data that came out. And yep. uh, yeah, so, you know, the both numbers, especially the ADP number, uh, by the way, ADP stands for automatic data processing. Uh, if people are not familiar with that, they, um, so for many companies around the world and in the US, especially in Canada, no, no one does their own payroll, but you, you outsource it because it's an incredibly intensive uh, service that has to be done. Um, instead of hiring one or two people to do it, you, you just outsource it. And these guys have the primary market share for it. And um, for example, RBC used to do that business a few years back, maybe 20 years ago, but then they sold it to ADP, to give you an example of what it's like. But, but they have access to so much employment data all the time. So that's why they've created this, this metric, this data point. And that's what it is, ADP. Um, but yeah, it, it, again, the number this morning, like it, it was strong. And all of a sudden that gives the, the Federal Reserve more support to continue raising rates or not pausing. And, you know, markets are, markets are getting a bit, a bit, you know, mullered there, there this morning. But uh, do you have any more you know, data? On, on I've that? got a quick so question see? now. Maybe this is for, for you or for Rich. Is there not a large divergence today right now between like the household survey and ADP data, like the, like the labor force statistics. Someone I was, I was listening to a podcast there and Grant Williams with, uh, I think it was Steph Pomboy. She dumped, she dives into a lot of these numbers 
And uh, it was it was her opinion anyways, and there's a lot of opinions out there that the, the divergence uh, today between the household survey and what payrolls are reporting is, I think, the largest or widest spread since the GFC. So she, she was of the opinion that that's one of these data points is wrong. And she's of the opinion that the payrolls data tends to lag the household survey. So, so just for so everyone what, to understand that the household survey means, uh, I forget which group is, is doing this survey. Is it, a, is it the government entity or is it? Um, the, non, the non-farm payrolls is the Bureau of Labor Statistics. That comes out tomorrow. But but that's and, contacting and corporates, then, isn't it? Or are they contacting? No. Households? So she 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 was saying that they they basically call like they're calling basically more small businesses. Yeah, which is they small call businesses. Up a house makes to, hey, is everyone of... working there this week who worked last week and stuff like that? Yeah. Whereas you are right, the ADP number, you know, it's it's measured from the top down from 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 corporations, and um. Uh, Ron, I know I just said, hey, this caused the market to move here this morning. Historically, there's not as much weight put on the ADP number. So, uh, and again, not to make a joke about it, today is is Thursday, which the ADP number came out on, and tomorrow is Friday. And for you know, for everyone in you know economic junkies out there, the first Friday of every month is an incredibly important month. You get to bet with all your friends on Bloomberg what the non-farm payroll number is going to be or the employment number, and. Um, so when this you know when this comes out tomorrow, um, you know we'll have another big market movement tomorrow morning. But the market movement today is in anticipation of again the employment number being being strong again tomorrow. I know that's a bit of a word salad, but it, it is what it is. I don't I don't actually know the I don't know, I don't know the answer to that. And maybe I, I know someone sent an email about that. Um, I'm of the view that there's loads and loads of revisions, and I think that these and I think. You know, it's, you should never take just one single data point. I think that the the Jolts number that came out, which is the j- job, <laughs> I never remember the damn Jolts acronym, but basically, um, the amount of vacancies that you have is is continues to be really strong. Um, and I think that, so. I mean, it, that's like kind of a non-answer as I waffle pretty badly here. But I think, I think that the they do get revised. So, for example, the ADP number that. Um, that Keith was referring to was actually revised up. So last month was revised up significantly, um, almost by 80,000. So almost like 30%, it was uh, risen, uh, sorry, revised up. And so that's, this is the, this is the thing with these numbers. I think it's about sort of central tendency. It's about not just looking at one or the divergence between one or the other. Um, I think it's in general, the idea that the US labor market is soft, I think is just, I think categorically wrong. I think to say that it's softening is fair. Um, does that sort yeah, of I mean, I think there's question? <laughs> what, what's Steph saying, Steve? I, I didn't listen uh, to that. Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a fantastic podcast. Uh, I highly encourage people to go and you know subscribe to Grant Williams. You know, he's the original founder there of uh, Real Vision. Um, but you know, he's he's always has great guests on. But Steph Pomboy basically, um, she she was of the opinion. She she sort of disagreed with Grant, um, but she was of the opinion that she she has in her models. Uh, this is what she does for a living, and maybe you know she's looking at the data differently than than other people were. She was of the opinion that U.S. CPI. I think she was saying that she has it in her models getting back down uh, to two percent uh, by June or July. So headline U.S. CPI year over year will get down to two percent in June or July. Um, Basically, she had the the gap between 
the, the again the the labor force uh, household survey and and the sort of payrolls numbers coming out was the widest divergence since the GFC, and then she also mentioned like you know things that we've already talked about before, which was um, the CPI inflation. So she was like you know look at shelter the shelter component of inflation she goes she goes you remember back in the global financial crisis the housing boom uh you know the housing market ultimately peaked in 2006 and began to roll over and she says 18 months later shelter component of inflation finally peaked and began rolling over and that was i think she was saying about midway through 2008 shelter components started to roll over and that was you know what a couple months later you had Lehman Brothers go under, right? So she was like, this is just not a great leading indicator. And and she was, you know, basically saying that shelter today is is what's responsible for the majority of the increase in uh in inflation. So I, I, again, different perspective. I, I thought she made some very good points. It's I think there's an argument to be made that you can kind of look at the data and crunch the numbers in a whole variety of different ways and come to somewhat different conclusions each time. And I think this is the ongoing debate on Wall Street. And I think it is a reason to to stay humble, right? I mean, markets are hard to predict. Except except the housing market bottom. <laughs> that one we know 100%. No humility with that one. I mean, that reminds me of a quote. Uh, I'm sure it's been misappropriated to, um, you know, Mark Twain, but it's there's lies, damn lies and statistics, right? You, you can make them say whatever you want. Can I just ask you a question? On what, what, what was her conclusion that that the, the labor market is is weaker than we think or, or stronger than we think? She thinks so it's weaker think. than what's being reported. Um, she thinks that, you know, everyone is basically struggling with the idea that inflation come, can come down from you know, where it is to 2%. People seem to think it's going to take, you know, year, two years, two and a half, three years. It might never get down there again. And she's arguing that it can come down a lot faster. I think she was, she, she also brought us some sort of stat of like, you know, CPI inflation was running in the fives um, back in what, 07, 08. And she said it came back. She went, she said it went down to negative, you know, two percent or something uh in in 09 but she's like you know granted we had the global financial crisis but it it went from five to negative two in a matter of basically 12 months so that was her conclusion she thinks the fed basically was was looking in the rearview mirror and was going to over tighten um i mean she's not here to defend herself but i would just suggest that there's lots of market-based inflation expectation um uh, instruments. So, I mean, there's like swaps and different futures instruments and the break-even rates and tips, inflation bond, tips, protected inflation, protected bonds, which are known as tips. A lot of these are already pricing in what she's actually suggesting. I think it's, it's more the, the modeling economic guys who I think will say it's going to take longer. I would also just remind everybody that it's not head headline inflation or even CPI that the fed targets, right? It's core, PCE that they target. And so that's just something sort of to, to remind us by, but maybe we should move on to the, the ISM numbers and we can talk about that quickly. And then, or if you have something else. Uh, no, I think, uh, well, yeah, you go into the ISM because there was a, it was a good chart. I think I sent in the group chat there, which we'll get into, but go ahead. Well, yeah, just, I mean, the ISM just ticked lower. And so remember it's a diffusion index. <laughs> there you go. That's for you, Keith. Um, and we've discussed diffusion index before. <laughs> 
um something How i should watch again i forget no, 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 you're not you're not tricking me this time but anyway the key things i think for me was number one there's three points that i'll just go quickly number one it's below 50 so you've got the sort of contraction um expansion line uh this is the second month in a row that it's um contracting or the economy the manufacturing sector is contracting i should say remember the services sector in most developed economies is the larger of the two there's services and manufacturing and then you add them up together and you get sort of your whole economy in the US it's 20 to 25%. Again, it's some people can argue what, whatever it's more or less, you know, three quarters, one quarter. So the manufacturing, which is the, what we got today, went to 48.4. That's below the 50 line. So it's contracting. That's two months now after something like 29 or 30 months or whatever expansion. It's also contracting faster, which is interesting. The things that are the, the other points that I want to talk about was employment. So we, we were just talking about employment that went below um 50 for the first time in a while um the back all this stuff about supply chains i think is really important to note um have, have all sort of come in whether it's prices backlogs consumer inventories um that's the other thing that i thought was really interesting and then as i, I tell everybody that you can look this up online it's freely available the website's really really quite slick actually and i like to look at the comments section so just like our youtube comment section that will remind steve of his call about the bottom in the housing market in the, on the ism services um report they go and ask a bunch of people from different industries so chemicals manufacturing plastics uh transportation or whatever and the thing that just continues to surprise me is the even though people are worried about employment so let's say their employment is their um, hiring plans are starting to deteriorate they're still bitching about labor market shortages which i find in fascinating the same is true by the way in canada so we've talked about the cfib which is the canadian federation of independent businesses and even though people you can see the the pmis in canada are falling and the business sentiment is falling in canada and even consumer confidence is falling the stubbornly high labor quality component is just not going away, which is, I think, just a really sort of fascinating quirk of this cycle, which is sort of unlike what we've seen before. <laughs> lagging indicator. <laughs> it is a lagging indicator. We've talked about that. <laughs> I think though that so that comes down to like, I, I, I thought last year was pretty clear or not clear or obvious. Um, the, the probability of this path that we expected last year, I, I thought it was a lot higher than what I'll suggest coming up this year. But, you know, in, in 21, we were on this like euphoria train. Everything was awesome. And, you know, just using a lot of different metrics for, you know, rated, you can tell it was, it couldn't get any better. Like that was it. All the money has already gone in. There's no one else left to buy and it should roll over. Now coming in into this year, uh, you know, it carries on with what Rich just described to us. You know, there's we're starting to see some sluggish growth coming up. So, in you know, you listen to other people, what, what their reviews are and stuff like that. So, we're either going to get, you know, this this recessionary death trap coming up. You know, it's just the hand's going to come up and grab and bring you down with it. Or, you know, we get this, you know, the, the Chinese recovery. It's real. It's going to be really strong. That's going to help the world. Uh, the Americans actually don't have a recession. Maybe it's just a, a slowdown. Uh, and you get that. So it's really, it's, it's this binary outcome. And just say, we, let's, let's go through each scenario. Okay. So let's say that the Chinese recovery, it's, it's really strong. Like it, it's awesome. Uh, so that means growth will re remain strong around the world. 
Um, they're they're going to start pumping stuff out again, which is deflationary, right? Because China they export deflation because they they make cheap stuff. Mm, I'm not sure about that, but keep going. <laughs> yeah, uh, and let's say the Fed in the U.S. You know they 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 avoid a recession. You know it's kind of sluggish growth, but in in that environment, uh, that allows this it, inflation should remain somewhat elevated. Uh, I do agree with Steph. I think inflation has potential to come down really hard with the, the numbers that they calculate. Um, but we could be in this environment where the central banks, especially the Fed, they continue to hike rates because they're looking at employment growth, wages, and, and all that stuff. And it, it seems like that's what the Canadians are looking at as well. So let's jump to the other side. Let's just say it, it is a hard landing. You know, it's not a little slowdown or a little recession. It's like a big, like, thump or thud. Um, that's that's going to be negative for earnings, especially. So for if people who live in that fantasy land of PE ratios and, and stuff, you know, the, the, the P, which stands for price, that's already come down in 22. But the E has stayed elevated because it hasn't been adjusted yet. And we, we talked about this last week. But in, in a hard landing, all of a sudden that E is going to come down. And all of a sudden, that's how you score your valuation. You go, you know, oh, wow, it wasn't cheap after all. Um, but but then we could, you know, we were going to get this real awkward moment where equities could come off. So uh, there seems to be no middle ground. Like I'm seeing it's either one or the other. And we'll... You know, we'll get more, as Steve's, I think, Steve, you said earlier, we're going to get more data points coming in all the time. And uh, we'll be at, we'll be better able to square this up. But uh, yeah, that, that's don't make of... any Canadian real estate uh, investments without contacting me first. Um, the bottom, yeah, I'm really upset that you guys are... Uh... <laughs> I think we forgot to... Now that I'm on it, I want to clarify something. <laughs> There's a certain product that is down. Now, the home price index is going to... I can almost guarantee you the home price index will continue to decline probably for the next 12 months. Okay, we will not hold this. We will not hold it to you. You can take, <laughs> we'll me, you can take that to the books. The home price index lagging indicator smoothed out from a rate of change perspective will continue to decline probably for the next minimum eight months. Minimum. We're just Be teasing. I know I you are. I know you are. But I just don't want people to take that out of context and go out there and spend a $2 million house and it drops 15%. And then some, you know, I'm getting a, a, a DM that comes through. Um, but one thing, so back to, sorry, if I may, just back to what Keith said. I think that Keith's highlighted like a really important, we're like in this like period. And I, and I, you know, I've been told that I should disagree with Keith more. And right now we sort of agree, but make no mistake when, when I, when I do find uh, some differences in our opinion, I'll, I'll be sure to say it. But I think what's amazing right now is we've sort of like, we're, we've finished sort of a 15 month, 16, 18 month period where stocks and bonds have sort of moved together. You know, you had like the rotation into energy, which is finally capitulated and you've got, and now we're in this like there's always like themes, there's always narratives in markets that you, you sort of try to pay attention when you're a strategist. I imagine investors sort of do the same thing and they sort of help you sort of explain and then help you allocate your assets, asset allocation. And then below that, you've got your portfolio construction stuff. And I think that that's what's so fascinating right now is that we're sort of in this era where we're just the world and the market is trying to sort of figure out what is the next stage. Do you have the S&P 500 sort of blow through the 200 a week moving average? 
um, as the world worries about, you know, continued recession? Do you have the U.S. consumer, which I believe is actually really, really strong, despite some misgivings on the employment side, sort of save the day as the U.S. consumer seems to always save the day? Do you have the China situation? See, I think China opening is actually inflationary. And you can see it in the, what's going on in the industrials metals market. So tin, zinc, copper, Dr. Copper, one of the most important sort of indicators for economic growth continues to rise. And I think, you know, for the first time in maybe a year and a half, I, I'm actually not quite sure about which direction we're sort of in and which is why I continue to be quite um, sort of defensive. But I think over the next like couple of months, I think we'll actually all these sort of pieces will sort of fall into place. And I think it'll be very, very clear what the next leg is or the next narrative is. Okay. Keith, well, you go ahead because I, I got I want to chime in. I have a question for you, actually. For me? For you. Okay. Well, Personal Rich, question. I think it's I think it's excellent that you get this out of your system before your date tonight, because <laughs> that, that should be helpful. Oh, you guys are so, so mean. <laughs> I think let's make fun uh, of Steve. I, I like that better. <laughs> Keith, so Keith, good. what are we buying? <laughs> I like from my perspective, like the, the best defense is a big offense. So I'll just <laughs> go at YouTube, you guys. Um, but but so one thing that we're very curious about here is usually with central bank policy and then you know government spending policy, which is you know spend, spend, spend. Um Usually it, it makes sense. Like it's intuitive. You can say, okay, yeah, I, I get it. I don't like it, but I know what you're doing. But if you look at like specifically what, what the Europeans are doing, the ECB. Um, like so right now their overnight rate is at two and a half percent. And they've told us that their inflation expectation for this year is, is 4%. So by default, they're, they're going to have to hike rates by almost 2% this year, like one and a half, two, just to get it up. And so the, their last meeting, like it, it was it was pretty hawkish or aggressive, what you want to see there. Um, but yet they're going to be doing this at the exact same time when their, their data is rolling over, like they're going into a recession. And, you know, their objective with raising rates is to pull inflation down. And I'm not convinced, you know, that's going to help with their price increases or you know, that that's happening over there. But when I mentioned earlier that, you know, there could be an economic or financial market shock around the world, uh, like, again, Europe continues to be a very strong candidate to be that market because they're raising rates aggressively. And I don't mean like little piecemeal ones. They said, hey, we're going to be aggressive here. And uh, then you have a lot of other you know, factors swirling around Europe right now in terms of geopolitical risk and, and whatnot. But for Canadians, you know, we're trying to figure out what will the Bank of Canada do? Would our economy get hit? You know, I, I do. I, I strongly encourage everyone to continue to look outside of Canada of what could be the trigger point. So again, raising rates into a recession that you know that's not what they teach you at, at university or you know wherever else people central go these bank days school. central bank which is goldman sachs right goldman 101 <laughs> yeah what do you have steve what is your no I, so, I mean just to kind of tie into that because i mean i tend to agree with what you guys are saying right i mean i'm i i think like i'm positioned personally like in my own sort of portfolio, I suppose, is is on the bearish side, like, you know, heavier in cash and waiting for opportunities. But um, 
I'm always kind of looking for like, what, what, what can this, like, where can I be wrong or where, where can this thesis go wrong? Like, cause I mean, I look at like a lot of things that we've chat chat talked about, uh, part of me on this podcast, but like, you know, like a lot of the narratives, let's say six months ago, right. was like, one of them was like, Oh, all the Europeans are going to be freezing in the dark. And then you look at, you know, fast forward today and you look at, you know, natural gas prices and you're like, Oh, oh like they did, it just figured itself out somehow. I don't know how it did, but and so there's a lot of things that people are like so dead sure on and then like the opposite happens. And so I'm just looking and saying, okay, well, what is, what is the pushback on this? So I, my question for you guys is like everyone, myself included seems to be positioned for sort of the negative event. Every, like this is the most forecasted recession, I think in recent history, right? Like everyone's like, yeah, 2023 is going to be a crappy year. We're going to have this recession. Central banks are basically telling you they need to induce one. And everyone's basically positioned or seemingly positioned for it. Do you get, is it from a sentiment perspective, is it like the slightest bit of like good news or less bad news that the market suddenly just, you know, rips to the upside? I'm just curious. I'm just trying to play devil's advocate and saying like, where could we potentially get this call wrong or, where could investors be surprised by? I'll, I'll go first. Um, so the surprise could be is that, you know, we don't get a, a deep recession. You know, we sort of muddle along through the year. And, um, you know, mind you, you know, we continue to expect that if, if there is a recession coming up, the Americans are the last to see it. So they're not the leading market for recession, it will come from elsewhere, like specifically emerging markets. I, I think that market is is always vulnerable. Um, but just say we get, you know, growth isn't great, it's not bad, and wage growth comes under control. Like companies just stop hiring as quickly as, as they did, and you you sort of you know squeeze our way through it. Um, the financial markets will still have to react to that as well, because it's going to say, oh, wow, we weren't waiting that. But I just think that most markets, whether it's quite a spreads or, or earnings side on, on the equity side, uh, and again, you go back to central bank policy, like at some point they would have to say, yeah, you know, we're now comfortable with, with stopping. And you know, whereas the Fed is always pretty, that they try to be as transparent as possible with what they're going to do. The Bank of Canada, my God, like you have no idea what, what they're going to do. So right now for the Bank of Canada, they're in the markets expecting um, a 25 basis points hike here in late January, and then that's it. Like they could come up with 50, right? You, you don't know what they're going to do. So, I mean, the, the long about answer, Steve, is yeah, like it could, remember the economy could move in a different direction than financial markets. And financial markets, in our view, like they're they're stretched in you know several different ways now. So if we do get these whipsaws taking place, um, and you're properly positioned for it or to to do something afterwards, then I, I think you know people can actually make a lot of money this year. What do you think, Rich? So I think so. I'm going to answer from just a completely different angle, just to sort of spice things up a little bit. I think Steve, your point about the sentiment, I think is a, is really quite spot on. I think it. You know, if you look at things like net speculative positioning, which is sort of the options that, uh, you know, investors might take out to hedge this or that, it's actually quite low. It's at sort of almost at all time lows. If you look at investor sentiment, so the American Association of Independent Investors, got that acronym right for once. 
Um, it, you know, you look at bullish versus bearish. You compare those two, you're at all-time lows. If you look at cash allocations, cash allocations are actually quite high relative to history. So people are, you can see in the data, there's loads of data to support the view that people are actually quite bearish. And, and in a way, you're, you're right. It's tough to get a material drawdown of sell-off when everyone is already sort of expecting a negative outcome. It's about the, often you get negative outcomes or positive outcomes when you have a difference between expectations and reality. And if everyone is already quite bearish and then you get bad news, then you often get a muted response. I guess the problem, so that, so your point is, I think, extremely well made. And it's just something I think maybe not everyone sort of thinks about. The other thing that I would just add to that is I, I just don't think we've seen enough pain just generally. We've discussed this in the past, like credit spreads are high, but they're nowhere near what we saw in 2018 or 2016 or 2008 or, or 2020, right? Credit spreads are, are sort of an indicator of how much stress there is in the credit market. So the US corporate bond market, they're nowhere near that those levels. I actually would argue that the markets actually become quite complacent over the last month. So Italy is always, a you know, one of Keith's bugbears. And although we joke, he's right, the economy's in a lot of problems. And yet the spread over the German bonds come in significantly. CDS swaps, sorry, credit default swaps, another sort of measure of market stress, they've all come in. And I would argue there's been, although there's pain, a little bit of pain in the housing market, I would submit to you that there should be way more. And so you've got this, you know, it, that's why I'm sort of sort of stuck in between, right? Because I don't think we've had anywhere near enough pain on the equity market. Yes, sure, the equity market is down, you know, 20% or whatever it is from, from the highs, or probably less now. But, you know, so in some recessions, you get down 38% or 40%, you know what I mean? And so... That, I think that's the, those, this, like, this juxtaposition that you have to sort of play off and, and why I think right now is actually a fascinating and really tricky time. Does that sort of answer the question? Yeah, yeah, no, I think like I said, I'm just, I, t I agree with what you guys are saying. I'm, and uh, it's more just, I'm always just trying to keep an open mind, basically. And that's, you know, what we talked about earlier in the show, which is like, just continuing to watch the data points. And if the data comes in, says something else, you know, six weeks from now, I think, you know, you should naturally start to form a slightly different opinion. Yeah. Well, just like one more thing, like if the, you know, if someone asked me like what rich, when would you turn bullish? And the irony is like, you know, if the market fell 20% from here, I'd be like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be given how negative sentiment all, is already and the positioning um, and the allocation that we've seen and, the, and et cetera you know, if you got another lurch down, I would be like, okay, there's, that would be one of the things that I would need to change my view on the market. If that makes sense. Makes sense. I think like, cause it, one of the things I get asked on the housing front is always like, when is a good time to buy? Oh, it's, it's like, I get this question three, four times a week. It's a lot of times it's from DMs from like random, you know, people that, you know, need, and it's like, well, I don't even know your situation. Like, well, what is your, like, when do you want to buy? I don't know. What is your situation? What are your cash levels? What, how long are you planning to hold the property for? I mean, all I can say is like from that, that's why I asked you guys about like sentiment and positioning is on the real estate side. I noticed like everyone, it kind of like, everyone wants to buy the bottom, obviously, but I think everyone's like looking for like the home price index to like officially tick the bottom. And then they're like, okay, now I'm going to buy. P 
people do that in public markets too, just for the record. Exactly. And so the thing I like to say is that the home price index lags very much so. And I find at least in real estate, because the markets are not perfect, right? You're dealing with like emotional homeowners that are selling their properties. You're not dealing with, you know, an open market where you click a button on your, you know, your trading account and you, and you buy a stock. So what I find on the real estate side is you're typically able to negotiate the best deals, despite what the home price index is telling you, you're typically able to negotiate the best deals when sentiment is the worst. Um, and so that's why I was asking you guys of like, okay, sentiment positioning. Cause what I find today, not a lot, not, not a lot of sellers. There's definitely a few sellers that were like when, when rates, some of the, actually the best deals I've seen negotiated so far um, were, was actually post the bank of Canada's hundred basis point rate hike. Like the week or two after that, because everyone was like panicking going, Oh my God. We knew rates were going up. This guy just dropped 100 basis points and people just started freaking out going like, what, what's next? And there was no, there's no certainty. And so my question is always like, okay, if we get clarification from the Bank of Canada on January, whatever, 25th, and he comes out and says no rate hike, and we think more or less we're probably done, we're going to watch the, the data to see if we need to raise further, does that does that just at least from a sentiment perspective start to say okay well rates are really high that's going to be painful because they're going to be stuck here for some time but at least we have some clarity that this is probably looks like the end of the rate hiking cycle does that start to change the sentiment a little bit not you know what i mean not necessarily have to create a bottom but it becomes maybe a little bit more challenging to really like grind a seller on the price that's that's where i'm kind of coming from Sorry. Rich was there talking away, everyone, by the way, and he was muted, Mike, and he was laughing. He said something incredibly funny, apparently. And he's <laughs> I just there. said it was a good question. That was it. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's sort of like this, you know, to sort of square all this up here. Like Rich made a comment here a few minutes ago that, you know, you would feel better if markets came down a lot and then you'd buy. And, you know, a lot of people, they, 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 they embrace that opportunity. Um, there, there's just to let everyone know there, there's a, a different perspective. Um, if if markets come down so much and they you know break different levels and you know then that that's actually a bearish indicator you know and that's when you say oh wow this is even getting worse so the simplest one right now if you look at look at say the one year chart on, on the S and P five hundred you know it's probably three four times last year you know we had lower highs and, and lower lows and we're now into that you know, next leg down here as well. So I think we can come down from here, maybe another six, eight, 9%. And we're breaking the low that we just, we just touched there a few months ago. And then the opposite is also true. So for us, for example, if the market started going higher and we go, we exceed the high that we had a few months ago, then that that's, that's positive, you know, that that's good. And I think it goes back to like, I like the joke about here, valuations don't matter sometimes. And, you know, sometimes they do matter. Of course, sentiment doesn't matter at other times. Other times it is incredibly important. That's why markets are they're so fluid. But at the end of the day, when, when you have capital like gushing into or out of a market, doesn't matter if it's housing markets or credit markets or equities, you name it, uh, oil markets, for example, the same thing, you know, that's, that's what's going to drive the price at the end of the day so everything is is linked together it's not as simple as what you know we we've been led to believe over the years I, yeah i mean i think that's 
I, I, you know, I always enjoyed you in the show um, just because I think we're, you know, I'm always learning from you guys, right? I mean, I'm always curious, Keith, you know, how you're sort of positioning and uh, obviously running portfolios. You've had a, you know, great 2022 and I'm sure you'll have another good 23, but it's, it's just interesting to get different perspectives because, um, you know, markets, it's markets can be, I know, just seem to be very humbling at times, right? You know, when everyone's sort of convinced of one outcome, it can do the opposite, right? So, Keith? I think that's a good way to end it. I don't know what else to add to that. <laughs> Except, Gretchen, good luck tonight. Oh, man. Good luck well, it's to... Uh... It's a full moon. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a... You know, I think it's a... And a good luck to Canada. Uh, yeah. And we're recording this on Thursday. So the gold medal, the World Junior Championship. In Halifax, Keith, I'm disappointed that you're not at the game. Uh, with someone with all the, the big bucks there. I thought you'd be in the box seats, but uh, yeah, good luck to Canada playing for gold against uh, Czech Republic. It should be a, should be a great match. Um, like again, just to remind everybody that uh, our live Q and a uh, will be next Wednesday, January the 11th. Uh, I'm sure as we've kind of opened up this conversation today to sort of look at the bullish, the bearish arguments when, you know, when, how to position, how to think about markets. I'm, I'm sure People have a lot of questions. I've always got a lot of questions. Uh, so it's fun just to, to engage with, with you know, our audience and get different perspectives and, and hear their questions. So we're looking forward to answering those. Once again, you can go and uh, register for that. Uh, it'll be a link in the descriptions wherever you're watching or listening to this podcast. So as always, we appreciate your support. We'll see you next week.